Thank you for listening to City Awakening Podcast. City Awakening is a gospel-centered church located in East Orlando that plants new churches, striving to be a multicultural, multi-generational church. For more information about City Awakening, follow us on social media or visit www.cityawakening.org. Well, good morning. My name is Lewis. I'm the lead pastor here at City Awakening. Uh, always a joy to gather with you here on site. And to those of you worshiping online, we welcome you online also. At this time, I want to go ahead and dismiss our children to Children's Church. So if, if uh, you didn't get a chance to check your child in, please see our children's ministry leaders in the back, and they would be more than happy to assist you with that. Uh, before we get into today's message, I do want to celebrate the fact that we have um, four new families who have made the decision to become members of our church, but we've also had 12 people, 12 new people decide to start serving as volunteers in our church. And so, yeah, you can celebrate. Praise God. Absolutely. You know, this, um, I always love that because uh, every new member and every new volunteer has a name. And they have a story behind that name, and it's a story of the grace of Christ at work in their lives, even bringing them to the place where they'll say yes to becoming a member of the church or even yes to wanting to serve the church, to volunteer the church, to help to be able to transform more people's lives. And so very thankful that they are evidence of the grace of Christ at work in this church and of the grace of Christ at work in their lives as well. And so thankful for that, thankful for the opportunity to have them be a part of this church and to say yes to that. Uh, You know, one of the things that we'll say often here at City Awakening is that it's invitations that lead to transformations. And these four families and these 12 people who are willing to volunteer and to serve in our church now, they are evidence of that. They are evidence that you know, your invitations for people to come and to learn more about Jesus really can transform people's lives. And so what we want to do is we want to encourage you to take the invite cards that are on your seats there. And we want to, I mean, we'll probably have more at the, um, the table over there. We can get you more if needed. But take those invite cards and inv- invite some of your friends to come with you to our Easter service that's coming up in a few weeks. So that's they can learn about Jesus too. Now those, uh, take those invite cards and invite people on social media as well as in person. You know, take a picture of it and send it on social media or whatever, but then also invite somebody personally in a one-on-one friendship that you have with them and invite them to come be a part of that service so they can learn about Jesus too. Remembering that those invite cards are more than just print on paper. They're invitations for people to come and meet our Savior and hear about our Savior. All right? They are invitations that can lead to transformations. So let's invite and then let's pray for those that we're inviting. Amen? All right, so let's do that over the next few weeks. You'll hear us announcing that more and more so that we can remember that as we're prepping and ramping up, um, getting ready for our Easter service. Now, as for today, today we are going to be continuing a teaching series that we've been doing called The Story, where we are going through the biblical narrative from the very beginning in Genesis 1 to the last amen in Revelation 22. And today's text is bringing us to the part of the Bible where we're learning about the story of the Israelites about to enter into the promised land. All right, they are about to enter into the land that the Lord promised to give them after freeing them from Egyptian slavery. This is a story about fear. It's a story about fear, which means we all can relate with this story because everybody has certain fears that they struggle with in life. I don't care how tough you think you are, how much of an alpha male or an alpha female you think you are. There's certain things that you fear in life. Now, for some of you, you feared getting COVID. Now, you feared the loss of your health. You know, maybe not even just COVID, but maybe you fear the reports of an exam that you have to get maybe this week or in the upcoming weeks because of a a doctor exam that you had to get done. You fear the loss of your health. 
For some, you fear the loss of your wealth. Maybe, you know, you fear things like in inflation or, you know, the, the inflation will go there. Or am I going to be able to provide for my family? Or maybe even the loss of a job. Some of you fear death. Maybe the death of, of somebody you love, a family member, or maybe, maybe even your own death. Everybody has fears that they deal with in life. And sometimes those fears become a reality. And how are you going to face those fears? And how are you going to overcome those fears? How are, you going, how are you going to make it through life when those fears actually become a reality in your life? Everybody has fears, and this is a story about fear. But it is also a story about, about courageous faith. It's actually a story about overcoming our fears with courageous faith. How do we do that? Now, how do we minimize our fears so that we can actually overcome some of our greatest fears in life, maybe even overcoming sometimes when those fears become a reality in our life? Well, this is what we're going to talk about today, okay? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them over to the book of Numbers. We'll be in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. We'll start off in verses 1 to 3 uh, today, and so we'll also have the words on the screen for you. If you're new to your Bible, you can find the book of Numbers in the front quarter part of your Bible, and like I said, we'll be in Numbers chapter 13 verses 1 to 3. Title of today's message is Minimized Faith. And this is the big idea for those of you taking notes. All right. Our fears can be minimized, or actually, our fears will be magnified when we minimize our God. All right. Our fears will be magnified when we minimize our God, our faith in God, our faith in who God is and what God can do in our lives. And you'll see that in the text today. Now, just to give you a little bit of context here, the book of Numbers was written around um, 1450 B.C., and it covers about 40 years of Israel's history. It covers the part of their history where they are getting ready to enter into the promised land, the land that the Lord had promised Abram and his descendants, which are the Israelites. The Israelites are, are, are just excited about this. They've been waiting with great anticipation because they've been living in Egypt for about 400 years now, and that's obviously turned south for them as we've studied in the previous weeks, you know, because now they've been in some harsh slavery that they've been going through, and so they can't wait to get out of Egypt because they know that Egypt isn't their land of prosperity. It is their land of slavery. And so they can't wait to get out of there. Giving you a little bit of a timeline of the biblical narrative, if you go into the order of the books of the Bible, goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then Numbers. Well, we've been through Genesis. We've been through the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, it, it covers the history of the Israelites being delivered from that slavery. The Lord delivering them from that slavery, taking them out of Egypt, the exodus of Egypt, the deliverance of them going out of Egypt, and also the receiving of the Ten Commandments. The book of Leviticus that Alex preached on last week, that records the part of Israel's history where the priests are receiving instructions on how to lead the people in things like worship, holy living, and the atonement of their sins. So now we're entering into the book of Numbers, which records the part of Israel's history where the Lord is prepping them to enter into the promised land. They're not in there yet. They're on the border of it. And the first 10 chapters of the book of Numbers is filled with great excitement, ready to go. And then chapter 11 and chapter 12, things turn south. They start complaining like they've been doing, you know, in all these other books that we've been studying. The Lord's taking too long. What are you doing? And now we have about 2 million people, 2 million Israelites ready to enter into the promised land. All right, and here's what happens in chapter 13. Let's check it out. Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 to 3 states this. 
The Lord spoke to Moses, send men to scout out the land of Canaan I am giving to the Israelites. Send one man who is a leader among them from each of their ancestral tribes. Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the Lord's command. If we were to read verses 4 to 25, you know, y'all know it might take me like two hours to preach on one verse, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize chapter, you know, verses 4 to 25. Here's what Moses does. Moses goes in and he takes um, 12 leaders, one leader from each of the 12 tribes of Israel and sends them out to scout the land. And so the, they scout the surrounding land in the area covering roughly 250 miles in a, a, a 40-day period. Okay, so that's, it breaks down to roughly, they, they covered, I'm scouting roughly 12 miles per day round trip. Okay, which is a lot, even for those of you who are cross-fitting P90X and Sean T kind of people. We got to remember, though, that these are Navy SEALs of Israel here. All right, they, so they were able to cover these 12 miles and, and they scouted this area. So these 12 miles away, right, they discovered this, this land. And then they, they, after scouting it, they finally come back and they give this report, verse 26. They brought back a report for them and the whole community. And they showed them the fruit of the land. They reported to Moses, we, we went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey. And here is some of its fruit. So what they've done is, is now they're coming back, and it sounds like a pretty good report right now. They're saying, you know, hey, uh, this whole flowing with milk and honey thing, that means that it's a very fruitful land, a fertile land, a prosperous land, just like the Lord promised us. They even grabbed some fruits, some grapes, to be able to show them that, look, this is evidence that this is a phenomenal land like the Lord promised us. So, so far, it's a great report. And then this comes in, verse 28. However, the people living in the land are strong. And the cities are large and fortified. We also saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites are living in the land of the Negev. The Hethites, the Jebusites, and the Amoritites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. So the initial report, man, this is great land. It's fruitful. It's fertile land. But it's also a land that's full of strong warriors and heavily fortified cities. Do you know archaeologists have actually confirmed this? They've confirmed that these cities in this area during this time period were actually very large and they were heavily fortified. Some of their excavations that they found, they, they discovered that they were, um, there were walls surrounding the cities that were made of brick and stone that were as tall as 25 feet high and 20 feet thick. You know how thick that is? Okay, so just to, I mean, I'll just count it out, just a little bit of 10 of them, right? One, two, three. All right, let's put this down here. I'll forget my mark, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We'll go a little short because my feet are 13 inches, not 12. So, <laughs> 10 feet. Double that. Thick walls for back then, correct? Heavily fortified cities. And so archaeology has confirmed what the Bible is saying here about this land. Also, it says that they, there were descendants of Anak there. Well, scholars believe that, that, those, um, that the, the descendants of Anak, they, they were well known for their larger genetics. They estimate that their, their height was around seven to nine feet tall. They, many scholars believe that this is where the descendants of Goliath came from. And so they're much taller and stronger than the average Israelites. 
And so what's happening is, is they're coming in and saying, hey, this land is fruitful. This land is fertile. It's great, just like the Lord promised us it would be. But the problem is it's full of strong warriors and a heavily fortified city. And you know what happens to the majority of the scouts? They become stricken with fear. Except for Caleb and Joshua. The text says in verse 30, Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, Let's go up now and take possession of the land because we, we can certainly conquer it. But the men who had gone up with him responded, We can't attack the people because they are stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land they had scouted. The land we pass through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anna come from the Nephilim. To ourselves, we seemed like grasshoppers. Their fear is causing them to give a negative report, the text says, an exaggerated, irrational report. Notice that they don't even mention anything at all that is good about the land. They don't mention anything about the land being fruitful and fertile, right? They just jump right into, man, no, this is a land that devours its inhabitants. Not true, because it's not devouring the people who are living there. It's exaggerated. What fear happens. Fear does that sometimes. Causes us to panic. Causes us to maybe exaggerate and heighten things. Make them out worse than what they are to where, where we start to think irrationally and even make foolish and unwise and irrational decisions. They're, they're saying, the land starts to, this isn't, isn't a good land. It devours its inhabitants and it's full of giants that make us look like grasshoppers. Not exactly the kind of pep talk that you want before you enter into a cage fight. Hey, you know, listen, man, you're about to get in a cage fight. You know, it's great. Great. You know, you're, you're a tiny little grasshopper that's about to get devoured. Go get them, Rocky. They make terrible cornermen, right? Their fear is making them terrible cornermen for entering into battle, for strengthening the Israelites' faith. Their fear is understandable. I'm not saying it's understandable, right? It's understandable for them to be a bit afraid, afraid here, scared here. The issue is, is that they're allowing their fear to now control themselves to the point to where they're exaggerating it and it's becoming irrational and it's spreading. They're spreading it. Listen to what happens next. Chapter 14, verse 1. Then the whole community broke into loud cries, and the people wept that night. All the Israelites complained, Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to die by the sword? Our wives and children will become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Their fear is causing them to panic to the point now where they want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to the very land that was enslaving them. The very land that, if you remember in our study of Exodus, the very land that they, where they are killing even their male, the Israelites' male babies to try and control their rapid, the rapid population growth of the Israelites. The only reason why you would ever want to go back to a place like that is if you are now to a point of panic and you're not thinking rational anymore. The Israelites are panicking. They're not thinking rationally anymore. Their fear has completely taken control of them. And so what we're learning at this point in the story is we're learning two things, okay? There's two things 
that can really increase our fears, okay? Uh, now, they can magnify our fears. Now, just to be clear, these aren't the only things that can increase our fears. There's certainly more things in this, but these are two primary things in the text. I want to stay, stay faithful to the text we're studying here, okay? So in this context, in this text that we're studying right now, we're seeing that there are two things that can um, magnify our fears, increase our fears. And the first thing is this, number one, forgetting God. Our fears can increase, they can become magnified when we forget all that the Lord has done for us. See, the Israelites, their fears are increasing, they're being magnified, they're forgetting everything that the Lord had ever done for them. They're forgetting even the miraculous things that the Lord did when He was delivering them from their Egyptian slavery. The Lord says this in verse 11, how long will they not trust in me despite all the signs that I've performed among them? The Lord's saying, They've forgotten all the things that I've done. They're forgetting their deliverance. They're forgetting the ten plagues. They're forgetting the parting of the Red Sea. They're forgetting the manna, the quail, the the water, how I provided for them when when they were hungry and thirsty in the desert. They're forgetting all these things and more. Just like we sometimes forget the things the Lord that has done in our lives. Whenever we're facing hardships, Whenever we're facing struggles in life, whenever we're experiencing maybe some unanswered prayers, or maybe some of you are here right now, and, and that's where you're at. You know, you've been struggling, you, you've been facing hardships, maybe feeling like your prayers haven't been, haven't been answered. A lot of times what happens when we're experiencing hardship, when we are maybe experiencing some unanswered prayers in our life, we get frustrated with the Lord, and we often forget all the things that the Lord has been doing in our life for years. We forget about all the answered prayers we've had. We forget about our salvation. I mean, think about it. If the Lord saves us, He doesn't owe us anything else for the rest of our life. He honestly doesn't owe us anything to begin with. But even Him, if all He gives us is salvation, that should be enough. But He's gracious to give us so much more than ourselves. We forget our salvation. We forget our deliverance like the Israelites. We forget even the fact that every day is a blessing just to be alive. And the same is true for a skeptic. Because you know what? The Lord doesn't have to allow us to still breathe and probably shouldn't considering how often we forget Him, we reject Him, and we rebel against Him. So every day is really a blessing from the Lord. We all forget, just like the Israelites are forgetting. And our fears will start to get increased all the more when we forget that the same God who delivered us from things in the past is the very same God who can deliver us from the things we're facing right now in the present. The Israelites need to remember that the same God who delivered them from their Egyptian slavery in the past, who parted the Red Sea, is the same God who can deliver them from the problems that they're facing right now that they can see right now in their present. But they're forgetting, and it's increasing their fears. And there's a second thing that we see in the text that they're that's increasing and magnifying their fears, and it's number two, minimizing God. Okay, it's minimizing God when, you know, our fears will increase, they'll be magnified when we minimize who God is. The Israelites are minimizing who God is, their belief in who God is. Their fears are getting magnified because their belief in God is getting minimized. See, they're not believing that God is their Savior. They're believing Egypt is their Savior. They're believing going back to Egypt 
is going to solve all their problems. I've met so many people in my life who think a move is going to to solve their problems. A job change, a location change is going to save their problems, and they end up running from their problems, and their problems follow them. They think going back to Egypt is going to be their their savior. See, they, they believe Egypt is their life raft, and we all have one. Every single one of us has certain life rafts that we tend to cling to thinking that they are a greater savior for our lives than the Lord. And for some of you, your life raft was a vaccine or no vaccine. And you know what? Death will pop a bubble in that, in that life raft because eventually something's going to get us all. Some of you viewed your money as a life raft. And inflation, stock market crashing, job loss, cut in salary, it's going to pop that life raft too. Some of you view vacation as your life raft from the stresses of life. I'm right there. Just got back from vacation, I'm like, oh Lord, here we go. Like an idiot, I never give myself enough margin when I get back. I always overbook myself. <laughs> it's terrible. We'll view vacation as our life raft. And you know what? Work or school ends up popping a bubble in that life raft. It pops that life raft too because as soon as you get back, you know, the, the heavy workload is still there to greet you again. Everybody has a a life raft that we tend to cling to that we think is going to be a greater savior for our lives than the Lord. And you know what? They all eventually deflate. They all eventually pop in the end. We need to remember that there is nothing else in this world that is a greater life raft than the Lord. What the Israelites are doing here is is they are, you know, because here's the lie that is in every one of us. The lie in every single one of us is to say, you know, okay, well, you know what, um, uh, you know, there's a greater life raft out there for me than what the Lord is, you know? And when we believe that, here's what we're doing. Here, we're, we are magnifying that thing over the Lord, which means we are minimizing the Lord in that moment. What we are essentially saying when we do that, when we cling to something else, what we're essentially saying is, you know what, Lord? Um, hey, I need a bigger life raft than you because you're not big enough for this. You know, this fear that I'm dealing with, this this hardship that I'm dealing with right now, this struggle that's in my life, you're not, you're not big enough to be able to handle that, so I need a bigger life raft than you. What is that for you? What is that life raft, that thing that you are clinging to that you think is a greater Savior than the Lord? For the Israelites, it was, it was going back to Egypt, right? But what is it for you? Our fears become increased, they will be magnified when we forget who the Lord is and what the Lord has done, like the Israelites are doing. But unlike the Israelites, Caleb and Joseph, they cling to the Lord instead of other things. Listen to what happens next in the text, verse 6. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who scouted out the land, tore their clothes, and they said to the entire Israelite community, the land we passed through and explored is an extremely good land. True, true report, right? They're telling the truth. 
If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people of the land, for we will devour them. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. So don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid. Caleb and and Joshua, they have this, this courage because they're clinging to the Lord as their greater life raft in Egypt than anything else in the world, right? And so just like we learn that there are two things that can increase our fears, magnify our fears, well, there are two things that, can all, that we're learning here in the text that can also, uh, you know, decrease our fears, that can increase our courage over our fears. What are those two things? Well, I mean, pretty simple. Number one, remembering God. That is remembering God. Just like our Fears will increase when we, when we um, forget God. Well, our courage can increase when we remember God, when we remember all the things that the Lord has done in our lives. See, Joshua and Caleb, um, they have courage because they are remembering the Lord. When they say that the land is flowing with milk and honey, they're remembering the promise that the Lord gave Abram and all the descendants, the Israelites. They're remembering the promised land. The reason why they have courage when everybody else doesn't is because they are focusing more on the promise than the problem. They're focusing more on the power of God than the problem that's in front of them. They are remembering the power of God that they had seen displayed in their past, and it's, and it's helping them to focus more on the power of God than the, the present problem that's in front of them now. They remember that the Lord is with us. They say that and it says, the Lord, remember, the Lord is with us. And it gives them the courage they need to keep going. So that's the first thing is they remember God. The second thing is they remember to magnify God. So just like our fear will increase when we minimize who God is, well, our courage increases when we magnify who God is. Again, the reason why Caleb and Joshua have so much courage is because they're magnifying the Lord. They're remembering, yes, who the Lord is, but they're also remembering, um, you know, what the Lord has done, but they're also remembering who the Lord is and His great power, that He has the power to be over, able to overcome any fears or problems that they will ever face in life. Moses reiterates this in verse 17, which is honestly where I got the big idea from. In verse 17, he says that, that you know, may the Lord's power magnify May the Lord's power be magnified. Caleb, Joshua, and, and Moses, what they're doing is, is they, they have courage because they're not letting their fears and their problems to take control over their life. They're not ignorant to their fears and problems. They're, they're perfectly aware of them. They're just not allowing them to have complete control over theirs. You know what they're not doing? They're not magnifying their fears and their problems over the Lord and the Lord's power Essentially, what they're doing is is they're looking at their fears, they're looking at the problem that's in front of them, and they're saying, you know what? Our fears and our problems compared to the magnitude, the size, and the power of God is nothing compared to Him. It's that old saying, you know, where, you know, go, go tell God about the size of your mountains, and then go tell your mountains about the size of your God. That's what they're essentially doing here. They are able to have courage because they're remembering who the Lord is and what the Lord has done. 
They're magnifying the Lord. City awakening. The God that we serve is a God that is so much bigger and so much greater than any fears or problems that you're magnifying in your life right now. And so let your faith in in God affect how you view your fears and your problems instead of letting your fears and your problems affect your faith in God. Magnify the Lord. If you do that, if you magnify the Lord, then you'll gain the courage to keep moving forward in life even when things are hard and difficult in life. Why? Because you know that the Lord is far greater than even your greatest fears and your greatest problems that you'll ever face in life. We have a God that conquered the tomb, and if he can conquer our greatest enemy, death, then what is there that he cannot conquer in our life? He'll see us through it. If we read the the rest of chapter 14, you can read it on your own at home, what you would learn is Caleb, Joshua, and the Israelites, the, the Israelite children, they're the ones who get to enter into the promised land eventually. It's in the book of Joshua where we read about that taking place. But those who turned their back on the Lord, those who turned their back on the Lord to choose another life raft, those who, who chose to turn their back on the Lord and turn to Egypt instead, they end up wandering in the desert for 40 years of Israel's history. The Lord, the Lord offered them a much better life and a much better land, but they rejected that life in that land. So the Lord essentially in the end gives them what they wanted, which was a hard desert land life instead of a prosperous, prosperous promised land life. The Israelites end up trying to take the promised land anyways without the Lord, and they fail. The reason they fail is because they don't rely and trust on the Lord for their deliverance. Instead, they're relying and trusting on themselves for their deliverance. And you know what? Uh, that, that life raft, it fails too, just like all the rest. They're trying to be their own saviors, and they can't save themselves. This is the big idea of the message. It's that our fears will be magnified when we minimize our God. And so the way to take steps towards overcoming our fears, towards overcoming our problems, the way to start to minimize those fears and those problems that we're facing right now or in the future is to magnify the Lord. It's to remember who the Lord is and what the Lord has done in our lives. It's to remember the gospel And so remember the gospel, meaning remember Jesus. Remember who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. It's to remember that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins on the cross, to forgive us of our sins so that we can enter into his eternal heavenly promised land instead of having to enter into the the much harsher land of eternal hell. And just like the Lord required the Israelites to have faith to enter into the promised land. Well, the Lord requires us to have faith in Jesus to enter into his heavenly promised land. 
It's to have faith in Jesus as your greater Savior, your greater Deliverer, your greater life raft that'll never sink. Jesus is your greater life raft and my greater life raft that'll never sink. And if you put your faith in Him, your trust in Him, if you cling to Him, you'll never sink too. We are to cling to Him for our eternal salvation and to cling to Him in everything and in every situation we face. You know, if you are fearing failure, then cling to the success of Jesus for your greater raft. If you are fearing the loss of your health, maybe because of a medical condition that you're dealing with, or the fear, you're fearing the loss of your wealth because of inflation or the economy, then cling to the health and the wealth of Jesus as your greater life raft. If you are fearing death, or even eternal hell, then cling to the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and the great power of his resurrection for eternal life as your greater life raft. City of Awakening, if you are a believer, you are to cling to Jesus Christ, not just for your eternal salvation. You're to cling to him for everything, in every situation. I'm so tired of myself forgetting Christ forget my salvation, the moment of my salvation, the complete joy that I had in Christ when I first came to Christ in him. And it's like the rest of my life, I just live with my head down instead of my head up celebrating him. I'm tired of forgetting him in my everyday life, in my every situation, turning to other life rafts that are only going to cause me to sink. I can easily look at the Israelites and say, man, what's wrong with you, you idiots? I'm the idiot. If you're a believer, you don't move on from the gospel. You don't move on from salvation. You don't move on from Christ. Whatever it is that you're struggling with in this room right now, if you are a believer, yes, remember your salvation, but remember you need Christ in every situation. For every, We say that the gospel is more than a way to eternal life. It is our life. If you're a skeptic, You're on your own. You're on your own. And you can try clinging to other life rafts all you want. But in the end, every single one of those life rafts that you cling to is going to sink and fail like the rest. It's going to fail, leaving you to die and to drown and to face the hardships alone. It does not have to be that way. If you cling to Christ as your greater Savior, instead of trying to cling to yourself as your Savior or anything else, City Awakening, let every single one of us, believer and skeptic, cling to Christ as our greater Savior instead of trying to be our own Savior's. I'm going to leave you with the very words of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, our risen Savior, our risen, risen King. Receive his words for your life today from Matthew chapter 6. O oh, you of little faith, don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day 
has enough trouble of its own. But if you magnify him, remember who he is and what he's done, you will not have to face those troubles alone because you'll have a life raft, an eternal life raft to cling to that'll never sink. Let's cling to him. Jesus, we pray this morning, casting all our fears, all our anxieties and burdens upon you because we know you care. Jesus, I pray for the believers in the room that their faith would be strengthened, whatever fears they're facing, that they would lay them before you, whatever fears have become a reality in their life. Jesus, that you would hold them up, that as they turn to you, they would feel your comfort, your love, and the strength and the courage to keep going on. God, I pray for the skeptic in the room that today would be the day where their hearts would turn to you, where they would say, I'm tired of trying to save myself. I'm tired of trying to cling to other things that just never satisfy and never save and never redeem and never restore and never change me. That they would repent of their sins and turn to you and believe the great news of the gospel that Jesus, you are our loving, living God who lived, died, and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins, including theirs. That they would say yes to you and that they would tell a friend that they have received you as their savior today. Jesus, we pray all this in your name. Amen. Let us stand and worship Jesus and magnify him.